Friday, our friends at Local Environmental give us a chance to blow off a little steam to say what we think in some circumstances, to say what's not being said, what maybe needs to be said. It's a tradition we call Trash Talk! All right, so this week I had some folks ask for, no, 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 demand insight into why I might block somebody or several people on Twitter. It feels like a good time to remind everybody how this all works. Nobody is obligated to give you access to their social media. You are not entitled to the privilege of reading somebody's posts, enjoying their personal photos, or learning more about what makes them tick. Without debate, every individual has the right to choose the extent to which they participate in social media, including what they post, who they follow, or who follows them. Nobody owes you an explanation as to why they've withdrawn their consent for you to access their account. There are many reasons why somebody may ignore, mute, or block people, lock down their own account, or even burn it all down. Perhaps they're tired of being agitated, antagonized, harassed, bullied, misrepresented, plagued, provoked, badgered, hounded, pestered, or heckled. Perhaps they're done with you hijacking their posts. Perhaps they're saying no to bad faith arguments or locust-style attacks. Maybe they just feel like it. Maybe they're having a tough day. Maybe they're having a great day. Maybe it's for their mental health. Maybe it's just for kicks. All that matters is nobody owes you jack squat. When you're a public-facing person who hears from hundreds of people every day, hitting the block button is the cheapest form of therapy. Heck, I'd probably block more people if I didn't already have them muted and off my radar. Don't be offended, and please don't be angry. It's not you, it's me. Actually, no, it is you. What is up, everybody? My name is James DeFiori, and this is Blackballed. And the best type of guests to have are the ones that intro themselves. Uh, I learned about this cat not too long ago, and um, he's had a long career in television and radio. And now he, uh, for the last year and a half or so, he has been a really uh, an amazing podcaster. I, I really enjoy listening to him. I'm glad that I discovered him recently. I'm glad I'm sort of late to that club. And here he is. His name is Ryan Jesperson. Ryan, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Thanks for uh, setting me up like that. Trash talk is always the high. That's how we wrap up our so-called podcast week, right? Fridays, Friday afternoon. That's how we wrap up our show. And uh, we, like I said, we blow off a little steam, and every once in a while, I get a little bit personal. Dude, your energy is amazing. Like, like you're like there's. The, I often um, my one of my beasts with the podcast world is that it often sounds like college radio. You know, yeah. the people are like. And in the criminal defense department, like, you know, it's like really kind of whatever. And then you're up there and there's just so much energy. Um, I want to start at the beginning, I think, because you're in Alberta and um, and we'll get to the, your politics in a second, because I find that really interesting, too. How did you get your start? Was breakfast television? Was it that was that kind of the first thing you did? Like, what, what, where did you begin your road in in this media landscape? Yeah, breakfast television was was my uh, my first big break, so to speak. But technically, my first paid gig 
in media or in journalism was with my hometown newspaper, the Calgary Herald. And I was uh, coming out of, I had been editor in chief of our university student newspaper and had an opportunity to join the Herald as an editorial assistant. So it was, uh, you know, it was the highest profile gig, but uh, I was contributing to putting the paper together and I would get the odd byline. I'd get to, to work on a feature story or, or sometimes I'd get assigned spot news. And I always got a real kick out of that. And, um, you know, bounced my way i always wanted to be on tv peter jennings i had met him when i was you know uh i guess i was 10 years old 11 years old at the calgary olympic games by fluke my dad and i met him and his son on the concourse during a hockey game and i'd always been fascinated with the the career of a television news anchor and so i i wanted to do that i made my way uh just north of calgary to red deer where i uh, got my first break in radio and then television and then up to Edmonton and long story short, hosted breakfast television for six years and then went on to move to AM news talk radio. Uh, I had a, uh, you know, I mean, you know, uh, I, it was Alberta's highest rated news talk show, James. Uh, but uh, for six years, uh, did AM talk in Alberta, which is uh, just an awesome uh, place to do talk radio. It's it's uh, an engaged electorate. You probably know that an engaged population. Yeah. And then uh, uh, got fired in a pretty high profile circumstance. And and I've been doing real talk now for like you said, just over a year and a half. So that's how I wound up here. You don't you, when you got fired from that job, that high profile firing. And we, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I, I just want to like point out that I actually like I, I read through like six or seven articles, and I'm like, I I don't think like. <laughs> you know chimpanzees are stupid right so you were just uh, yeah yeah i mean so here's the story for people that haven't heard about it i had this i had kind of a beef with the this city councilor in edmonton this is really small potatoes kind of stuff uh, mm -hmm. all you really need to know about the story is that the story of me getting fired is not the real story okay so oh, okay. there's the other story so i'll make it quick I've, I've enjoyed pods of yours in past i know you like to get into this uh and i know that people will come on here and they'll say like this is what you've seen or heard and then this is the truth yeah, yeah, and so right. you know so i get yeah i get into kind of a public squabble with a city councilor who had some you know connections and, and right. pulled some strings and uh what have you but basically he was a he was a you know he's like a big dumb animal man and, and so I, I called it what it was and i and i suggested you know he had been uh you know hauled in front of his council call was he going to be sanctioned for the things that his team was putting out on social media? And and I referred quite candidly on the radio to his staff, uh, one staffer in particular, who's a white male, and that's relevant, uh, a yeah. white male. I referred to him as a chimpanzee typing out idiotic tweets and and and, and his team, you know, expertly torqued it and, uh, you know, made it come across as racially charged and Basically, the radio station that I think had been, you know, uh, not the radio station, the media conglomerate, the multi-billion dollar corporation owned the radio station that that I think had been looking for a reason to let me go for quite some time, uh, taking their input from, you know, the the, the office of Alberta's premier, uh, mm -hmm. you know, saw an opportunity. I, I refer to the city councilor as the, the, the yellowfin tuna that bit my ankle and got my foot bleeding that led to the shark attack. <laughs> and uh, and that's what happened. So, yeah, I got canned. I was canned in September. September of 2020, mid-COVID, mid-pandemic, and seven weeks later, we launched Real Talk at RyanJesperson.com, and and uh, the rest is history. I mean, as, as the cliche goes, man, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. You know what's funny? I think the pandemic is the best thing that's ever happened to me, and I know that sounds awful, but if I had a red button and I could save the 7 million people who have died of COVID and go back to my career trajectory before the pandemic, I don't think I'd press that button. Um, I've had oh. such, I had a, I've had a good run. 
Maybe and maybe not anymore because I said that, but probably not because yeah, I don't right, answer to a big a company. Yeah, right? <laughs> I don't answer to a big company. No, but the thing is, is uh, for real though, there were, and I've said this before, there are two types of people um, when COVID hit. There are the complainers. Um, you might see them honking horns in Ottawa. And then there are people that have just got on with it and, and found a way to make all of the free time that they now had work for them. And you're one of those people. To, I don't mean, well, I, I don't want to paint myself into a corner here, but mm. are, are the, are the convoy folks like, I'm not, I'm not pro convoy, but are they the complainers? Aren't they the, they're, they're, I mean, they are complaining, but I mean, they drove all the way to Ottawa to complain. Uh, they're kind of the doers. I think the efforts are just misunderstood, but like not there, they're, they are not misunderstood. They misunderstand what's happening, why it's happening and how you can, you know, ultimately I think change your circumstance or, or, or impact some of the things that they're frustrated about. But there were people, that's the fascinating thing about that convoy mm. is that there are, there are the bad actors, no doubt about it. Like the worst, right? The worst. And then there's these well-meaning naive God bless them kind of folks we saw them. We saw these news stories in the weeks after. I feel sick for these people. It's like, is it possible to like not feel sorry for somebody at all and also to just feel sick for them at the same time? The people that had gone in, that had taken the organizer's word in good faith, that had been maxing out their credit cards, you know, many of them on, on modest incomes, I'm sure, uh, to fill up jerry cans, to keep the trucks running, to contribute what they could. Why? Because they believed that what they were doing was going to actually like, you know, like they believed they were going to overthrow the government and like they had a plan. They had they were going to go go to the government. It's, not, it's like I'm laughing because I don't cry. It's like so pathetic. It's I, I feel bad. And, you know, they're, they're going to go to the governor general and talk to him about this committee. They were going to have to run the country. It's like, what are you even talking about? But these people, a lot of them, this convoy, I mean, financially, otherwise destroyed a lot of people's lives. And a lot of these folks, the reason why they can't I can't believe I'm coming across yeah. as convoy in the first three minutes you're, of your you're trash talking uh, you're I doing am, your uh, trash talk segment but, but go but, ahead but please. these like these are people whose circumstances were either so dire or so desperate or they're so frustrated or so pissed off whether it's unemployment or what have you that they that they like found something they believe they could latch on to and they were taken advantage of uh yeah. but, but, you know what yeah. i mean i i i i hear what you're saying um but to me that's just complaining on steroids or something because i mean like think about it, especially the people that went there to overthrow the government or thought that that might happen you're there's a whole textbook of reasons why those people um are are worse than misinformed like there, there was a lot of like um unfairness that were plunged upon uh the average protester i think in ottawa like i'm one of those guys that that I don't like to paint them with uh, one brush. I can joke. But really, at the end of the day, I know people that went there that were progressives. And they were like, it was nothing like they said on the news. And and they and they said that the news like focused on the bad actors and defined the entire crowd through the bad actors. And I was like, okay. So I, I took a little extra kind of care when I when I was talking about it on, on say, my podcast or Dean Blundell's podcast, just because, you know, that idea that you could paint an entire group of people with one brush is, is uh, self-evidently unfair. And I know the media, the media is unfair. 
I know that the uh, protesters, a lot of them, when they would see a, C, uh, a CBC or a CTV mic, would just start hurling obscenities. So I don't imagine those news outlets then reporting on all the good people, right? So there was a whole, it was a big perfect storm of biases. biases yeah, I and, I, and I don't think you necessarily need to report on the good people of the convoy as an example or of any movement to... To, to make the not all bad argument. That's not my point. I mean, it's, you know, it's been said, I'm not the one that came up with it, obviously, but if you're sitting at a dinner table with 10 people and one of them's a Nazi, you're sitting at a table with 10 Nazis. Yeah. That, that saying holds true in the sense that I'm not calling everybody involved with the Freedom Convoy a Nazi, but I'll tell you this, if I'm marching for curriculum or the environment or uh, like, you know, whatever you want, and uh, I see swastikas and Confederate flags flying, I'm getting the fuck out of there. Like, that's sort yeah. of a given. Uh, but at the same time, I think that the story, I think that the more we understand about that convoy and the people that joined it is that there were a lot of folks that, that just don't have a clear understanding of how things work, of why things are the way they are, or how they can make an impact. And it's way, it's demonstrably less sexy for somebody to start volunteering with their constituency association and then door knocking and then entering your name to be a candidate to like join, become a school trustee and then a, and then a city councilor and then a, you know, a, a member of your provincial parliament or your MLA and, and, and then an MP. And then maybe, you, you know, it's a lot of work. It sounds like a lot of work to people. It's way more fun. It's to a road trip truck to get on a road, you know, to hit the road with your pals uh, you know, to like piss in milk jugs and and like, you know, crush beers in the passenger seat and then set up a hot tub outside parliament and party in downtown Ottawa honking your horn for eight weeks like it's a music fest. I mean, that's way more fun. Yeah. Uh, but it should have occurred to a lot of these folks at some point that the plan probably wasn't going to materialize the way that they hoped it would. And now, I mean, no laughing matter. The people I don't feel sorry for whatsoever are a lot of these organizers that have these really checkered pasts and I think nefarious motives, many of them. Um, and and I some also of them think they were used. I mean, it, it, I, I, when it was happening, I remember thinking to myself uh, and I said it on, on Blundell's podcast that, you know, this uh, let's wait and see who co-ops this, which politician co-ops this. Cause then we might see one of the breadcrumbs that lead to where it really started, because I don't see Tamara Lich as being um, a mastermind. <laughs> do you know what i mean like i just don't and and i don't see pat king as being a mastermind there was a couple of other characters there like mazaro and a couple other ones that may have been like the the string pullers or whatever but it either got out of control or it was it was uh or fuel was being added to that fire because you don't forget it started there was a two-pronged thing that started that convoy one of them was um the mandates and and the other one was this fake uh, supply chain crisis that was actually happening already for a year. Um, but they they then pasted that um, some supply uh, supply chain issues that that we were having, like with grocery stores and things. And they were pretending that it just happened and it was all true to Spald and it was based on what he had just done and everything. It, that wasn't true. That was just bullshit. You know, they were using stock image, stock next, photos from the UK. Suggest, next, you're going to suggest that politicians right, I are I don't know where you're going to say it, but I, there you yeah. go. Yes, I am. Yeah. Well, of but, course. And, you know, and ultimately, I mean, what's like, how, how bizarre is this that, 
you know, you you, t- you take a look and uh, I, I talk to people and I know you do too. Some will say the country is so divided and others will say the country's not divided and, and stop talking like that. And the more you talk about it, the more you reiterate this idea that's actually inaccurate. We're not as divided as we think. And then you look at when I when I think the average person I talk to, the average conversation, save some of them. Some of them, some folks will surprise me. Even some friends of mine surprise me a little bit with how they feel about the convoy. But for the most part, people laugh at it. People mock it. People scoff at it. People think that these are a bunch of buffoons. This is ridiculous. And, you know, and uh, yet (laughs) the interim leader of the federal conservatives, the official opposition, loud supporter of the convoy, the heir apparent to the party, uh, the, the, I think, undeniable front runner in the conservative federal leadership race, you know, Pierre Polyev, like has, has aligned himself as close as you can possibly get without sitting behind the wheel of one of the trucks. And yeah. uh, you look at the support there of those. That's my file photo of Pierre Polyev, by the way. Pierre Polyev's oh, no. nice on the bill house yeah. With, yeah. with a badass jacket, though. Turns look out how badass brother, he is. That's convoy. Pierre, I, I Pierre. went to yeah. high school with Pierre Polyev. He says they called him. He was Jeff Polyev at that time. But uh, at Henry Wisewood down in Calgary. Are you serious? But, yeah, I'm, I'm serious. But but how interesting is it that, you know, for as many people as might scoff or write off the convoy as the fringe, at the same time, the politicians that aligned with them, undeniably, I mean, there's no hiding it. It's not like somebody's going to, you know, create, run this expose on how Pierre Polyev actually supported the convoy. He screamed it from the rooftops and he could be the next prime minister. So, you know, riddle me that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I that is that has so many layers of possibilities. Like I, I, I'm I'm known for saying that the, 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 the conservative two step, which is when they placate the batshit wing of their party during a leadership race and then they placate moderates during the election. So Pierre Polyev's not going to pivot to that center, I don't think, the next election. I think he's all in with the with the convoy crowd. But then I, I start to wonder, is the silver lining that he probably won't be able to govern for the batshit? He'll have to govern for the moderates. I, I, I am so confused now as to what his strategy might end up being. Yeah, it's pretty wild. There's, uh, I mean, uh, you know, to sort of timestamp this conversation that we're having, this this conservative leadership's underway in Alberta. The United Conservative Party's leadership is underway, and and that's even, I mean, you know, from from a provincial angle, I'm not going to say it's higher stakes, federal, provincial, what have you, but the winner of this leadership race, this party leadership race, immediately becomes the premier of Alberta. And so you could have someone that's not even sitting in the legislature that doesn't even have a seat there yet. That's all of a sudden the premier. And, you know, we get into the weeds on people have to leave a seat and they'll have a by-election and all that. Nobody cares about that. But the point is you have a circumstance now where for people that haven't necessarily been paying close attention to Alberta's conservative leadership race, it's pretty wild, too. It's swinging pretty far right. Not every candidate, but a couple of the highest profile ones are trying to outright wing the other and we're musing about what the political landscape might look like if one of them are to become premier of Alberta, Pierre Polyev's to become the prime minister. And then what if Donald Trump takes back the White House in 2024? I mean, I don't think the CIA of- would let him. I, I think he's going to get shot in the head if he get, if yeah, he wins. Unbelievable. The so this is going to be uh, yeah, this is going to be a, a pretty interesting, to say the very least. Next few months, figuring out Canadian let, politics. Let me ask you something. Did Danielle Smith really say that cigarettes were like pretty good for you? Like, I, I, I didn't bother looking up the quote. I saw it on social media. And I'm like, that can't be true. And I just ignored it's, it. Uh, I mean, I don't have it in front of me, but it was a column. It was a newspaper column that she wrote that ran in post media. I think it ran in the Calgary Herald 
um, like years ago. Um, but I mean, not like in the thirties. So, uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, I mean, people can find it online. I don't have it in front of me, but she says something like, we know that, that, um, you know, cigarette smokers are proven to have a, I think there was a statistic in there, like a 70% less chance of contracting certain diseases or something like that. It was I, like, it is. That it layer is of real. resin protects you from the cancer. Yeah. I don't know. I've always thought that the only argument really like to justify smoking these days, it just, you just, you just have to, it's people love it. Yeah. It's not like it's bad for, yeah. So is, so is everything else and people love it, but still don't smoke kids. Um, you have a interesting um, body of work and guests on your show. And I see people that like tweet that will like reply to your tweets, like Arlene Dickinson and stuff. Uh, you, you, I like you because you, you remind me of me in one way, which is that people have a hard time nailing down what you are as far as like, I don't like the boxes, the left wing, right wing boxes. I, I literally have defined myself since like 2008 as a person that um, is, is, you know, admonished by the left and the right um, on any given day. And I wear it proudly. And as I have for the past decade, um, you're similar, I think like, and, and there's only, there's only a handful of us because most people uh, in order to make a living will, will nail down which side they're on and they'll work for either post media or they'll work for the Toronto star or something like that, because that's yeah. what they are. Unless you're the token left or right winger at each outlet. But you seem to be a person who dips their toe in either side, just depending on what the issue is. And I respect that. Is that yeah, accurate? I, yeah. I mean, I, th I think it's accurate to, to like, I mean, the, the, my track record shows that sometimes the, the right hates me and, and uh, quite frankly, tries to, uh, you know, knock my career down. And, and sometimes the left does. And most recently, it's been the left. And before that, it was the right. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, I think it's, I think it's dangerous. I, I, I feel I'm trying to decide how, how frankly I want to speak on this right now. Cause I've had a recent flare up that I'm still a little bit annoyed about, but I think that, uh, I'm as not frankly sure as that, you can, please. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> let it all out. Let it all out, right? Yeah, you know, I host a show called real talk. I better, yeah, uh, I better bring right. it. But yeah, no, I just I like I, I sometimes wonder if some people are smart enough to understand the role of a talk show, and uh, and I'm not sure that they are. And well, what's uh, the role I, of a of the talk show? Well, I mean, we always I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends on the show and the host. But I tell you that we make a promise to our audience that we will be perpetually curious, and that uh, you know we'll take a look at the world around us, the issues that quite clearly matter to people, and we'll solicit credible valid opinions uh on uh, on how people feel about it uh, people are going to say you know i mean and you know in this case particular oh he's going to both sides an issue eh? he's going to both yeah good <laughs> I, people on both sides it's not what i'm talking about only a rabid you, partisan would accuse someone of both sides in an issue you know like, yeah the, and yeah. and you know it's just like it it's really troubling to me that I think some people and, and a lot of times, you know, I have to remind myself as well. And you opened with a portion of my trash talk there uh, talking about blocking people on Twitter because I just I just get sick of people. Uh, quite frankly, I, I, I don't think, you know, people talking about oh you you platform these people. Um, you know, we, we don't have a, you know, I don't host a roundtable on on whether or not the Holocaust happened. And uh, we're going to get a voice from each side. 
but but if you want to talk about you know like like a legitimate issue, I, I can't think of one right now off the top of my head. Like is is this sounds really boring for your audience, James? But like is carbon pricing like is a carbon tax the best way to address global warming in Canada? Well, you're going to have somebody on that panel that's going to say yes, uh, the yeah. tax is important. You're going to have somebody else on the panel that says no, it's not. And then to be criticized, for example, like oh this person's a climate denier. You don't care if the planet burns. You don't care if whatever. It's like where I grew up, the family I grew up in, like the, it was like the you know the the dinner table, or or when guests were over, there there were there, there was a myriad of opinions present, and people would respectfully consider and try to meet people where they were at and seek to understand. And uh, yeah, you know, I I think that if we've lost our ability to do that, then burn it down. One of those issues right now, actually, and this is probably a perfect example. Um, <clears throat> it's actually two pronged. Uh, it's the the Pope's apology. Um, I, as soon as I found out he was going to apologize, I was like, oh, I got to get all my profanity list in place so I can tell him to go fuck himself because I don't really see why that is important. Um, if you want to make amends to the families of the victims of the people that that church victimized, uh, over the last century or whatever in Canada, um, you know, take some of that Vatican billions and, and give a couple billion to these people. And, 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 and that's how you apologize. We, we apologize with money. <laughs> in the western world we we don't just go sorry and everything oh all those rapes and murders are now forgiven because you said i'm sorry i thought it was cheap i thought it was a pr move for the vatican but even more importantly and this is the most controversial one terry glavin has talked about this and jonathan Kay has talked about this and colette when we found out that there was these mass graves at these residential schools i was like everybody else i was disgusted i was like mortified by it and it's not that I don't believe that it happened, but I was positive that it happened. And now I'm like, did it? Because they didn't actually find any bodies or graves. They used this geological surveying equipment that said there was disruptions in the soil. And I was like, okay. But if you've ever known a Portuguese construction worker, <laughs> you could go to any site and any development and find disruptions in the soil. I, 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 I mean, I, I'm looking at your face right now, and even you're just like, okay, where's where he going with this? If you read the Greg Glavin uh, articles that he's written about this, and that Jonathan K one, it's it's there's two messages that they say that that they that they kind of uh, articulate in them. One is that um, it's maybe even it's even probable that they did it, but we require evidence in order to finally say they fucking did it. Like, and we don't have that physical evidence, and. Me just saying that, apparently I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get a lot of tweets because of this. I'm going to get a lot of emails. But why is it so difficult? To, like, like it, 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 it sort of inspired a lot of us to, to rediscover uh, our hatred for the Catholic Church. For some of us like me, that doesn't take much. And so I, I, I gun to my head, I believe that it happened. But why can't they, sh why can't we unearth the evidence so that we can actually ascertain an exact crime? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like that that does feel like a bit of a tangent, to be honest with you, based on where we were going with this. Because unless you're talking about does the public have an appetite to consider alternative realities on what potentially did or didn't happen at residential schools. All I know, man, is that. But mass graves like, specifically. Well, yeah, I mean, sure. And, and I think that there's a, a certain I mean. 
does anybody not believe that? I mean, it's uh, anybody not believe that that kids were were abused and that many died in residential schools. I mean, there, there are, I believe that, but I just, I, I want to know if the mass graves are true. That's all. Yeah. I, but I mean, you know. I mean, so what's the suggestion there that, that, uh, that all these mass graves are, are like dug up. I mean, if, if this becomes a criminal investigation where they're looking to, uh, arrest former priests and nuns and administrators that are in their eighties and nineties, then I think that many members of the Canadian public would be all for it. Um, I, I think that when it comes to conversations about uh, residential schools or the Pope's apology or whatever, I mean, you know, one of the things that the talk show also needs to do is to know when to, uh, I won't say get out of the way, but uh, provide a, a platform or an opportunity for the voices that matter and typically voices that have been either marginalized or, or uh, in many cases silenced um for those voices to matter and and ultimately for those voices to matter most and so it was interesting for us i mean you know we talked to a lot of um indigenous leaders ahead of and during the pope's visit you know grand chief of confederacy treaty six and, and a couple of uh, chiefs and uh, one in particular who had met the pope at the vatican uh, six years ago and invited him to come here but we also of course wanted to include a catholic voice and uh had an interesting round table every friday we have a round table conversation uh, we had one with a, an interge intergenerational survivor. She's a, she's an academic. She's done a ton of stuff um, and uh, in teaching indigenous history, et cetera. And then a voice, the president of a, of a St. Joseph's College, it's called at the University of Alberta. Um, and, and, and they had a really interesting back and forth on the significance of that visit, the significance of the apology, what it meant to both of them, what it meant to their greater communities. I think that those types of conversations are, are important. Um, I have my personal feelings about the Catholic Church. Uh, uh, not through the context of somebody who would have a, a clear or real or intergenerational understanding of residential schools. Um, mm -hmm. I'm actually appalled at my lack of knowledge in residential schools up until a number of years ago. And I think that many Canadians feel that way. The bigger picture for me is, is uh, residential schools are part of the bigger picture. The Catholic church's legacy of destruction, oppression, abuse, negligence harm um you know and uh and that's a conversation that i think people are more willing to have these days i, I can remember those conversations being killed on public media platforms not too long ago and yeah, uh yeah, I'm, I'm i'm in agreement with you. everything you just said makes perfect sense to me like I, i'm not i am in no way downplaying anything i just want to like you know um with the old adage, the extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And I know that the evidence is in that abuse happened, heinous abuse and that children's and, and that children died and they were like sick and not given medicine. And they were, it, it was awful. Obviously all of those things are true, but then someone said mass graves one day and we all just went mass graves. Oh my God, that's fucking awful. And it is, but where are they? And why haven't we been able to actually like see any evidence of the mass graves? And I'm not saying they oh, don't wait, exist. What is this? I'm, there's I'm like, a, there's like a blood loss that people people believe that there are mass. It's a it's it's a oh, miniature holocaust. Yeah, that we have to be able to like um, account for. I want to hold the people accountable for the mass graves, and you can't do that if there's no evidence of the mass graves that we've seen. And that's all I'm saying. I I, I want. Listen, I, I, I'll say it as, from a personal point of view. I fucking hate the Catholic Church. I think they are one of the longest criminal enterprises on the planet. And they always have been. I was raised Catholic. I was baptized. I had my confession, first communion, fucking confirmation. 
I know about this place. <laughs> I know about this the history of this church. It's fucking evil. They fucking helped Nazis in World War II. Like they are a horrible organization. So the mass graves things fits in their MO. I just want to see the evidence. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's important. I mean, I've had conversations with, um, you know, I think of uh, Chief of Calus's First Nation in Saskatchewan was one that, that, that we spoke to on the show. We've, we've spoken to indigenous leaders uh, in British Columbia and, and in Alberta and different communities have different feelings. I mean, even sometimes within a single community, there will be many different, um, you know, feelings from survivors of these residential schools on what should happen and whether or not those mass graves should be disturbed or be dug up. Um, I, I don't for a second believe that there's a conspiracy that people are stretching the truth. I don't have any reason to doubt the validity of the ground penetrating radar. I, I guess probably some people want to see evidence. And, and, and if that's the case, like I said earlier, if it's part of a criminal investigation, I'm sure that the RCMP would. Um, maybe that's, that's a conversation about on what accountability looks like for mm -hmm. Canadians. That's the thing about um um because because we're all guilty of it and I, I would say that you were only slightly guilty of it there where it was almost like your brain was like well where is he going with this why does he need the evidence so bad normally a guy that says that is defending the Catholic Church. <laughs> no, I just I, uh, I just didn't know what try what attention you're trying to attract with this podcast and I think if you, <laughs> if you start going to uh, I don't have like, a motive I don't have a motive to attract attention I, no, I, I literally know. feel I know, in my brain that if someone says there's a mass grave there I'm I'm not going to believe them until I see the evidence and in this case it's really tricky because it's such a political situation and it's such a horrible like generation after generation abused and murdered by our government and our catholic church none of that is in dispute i fucking agree with that but the details of that abuse and the murdering and all that kind of stuff it's kind of important because we all just sort of went yeah that makes total sense and rightfully so but then when months in a year and whatever ticked by and people like terry glavin and people like jonathan k were like well, where's the evidence? And they were like, Nazi. And it's like, okay, great. I'm a Nazi. Where's the evidence? Like, I just want to know. Um, and I don't know what's wrong with that. Like, I, I really don't. Like, I, like, usually we're an evidence-based nation, I, I thought. Right? Mm -hmm. And so if someone makes a claim like that, it doesn't it, like, it, I couldn't see the claim being made in the inverse, I guess maybe is maybe a good way to look at it. In other words, if there was a mass grave of, neoconservatives that they found in a hundred years <laughs> pretty sure people would be like well you got to prove that there's a mass grave of neoconservatives you know you just ha you have to prove it mm -hmm. you know uh, it, it it makes uh more sense to me that and it would bolster their case if there's a spiritual argument 
But nobody's okay. making a case. Nobody's making a case of mass graves. Like, if yeah, no one's no, made the case. That's right. No, Someone said well, it. No, no. I think communities have made the case, um, and and I hope that my flag is firmly planted on what I believe to be true here. But um, if there was an actual criminal investigation, then maybe it would change things, right? Like, like maybe. You know, yeah. is, is the Catholic Church gonna? release records i mean that that's pretty significant why has there been no criminal accountability why have you know why with thousands of hours of testimony through the truth and reconciliation uh commission proceedings and, and the subsequent report why has there been no criminal accountability it's i don't know if you listened to that podcast the stolen podcast the surviving saint michael's but it, it's pretty interesting a lot of the survivors that sort of you know re-traumatized themselves by sharing the stories of their childhood, I think we're probably under the impression that at some point it would lead to some police action or there'd be some sort of criminal accountability. And there's really been none. I mean, you know, we, there's, uh, you know, people that are still being hunted as, as war criminals for, you know, you know, running the gas chambers in world war two. Um, and, and it feels like this victory for the planet when, you know, some 88 year old is smoked out of their hole and, and, you know, brought out in handcuffs and held accountable. People want to see people in front of the criminal courts in wheelchairs in their late eighties. If they were involved in the Holocaust, people don't care that they're about to die. People want them to be found guilty. People want them to be held accountable. Uh, I'm not quite sure why that hasn't happened here. I mean, there's, it's, it's been, you know, survivor testimony uh, is, is certainly relevant. You would think, uh, to corroborating reports. I mean, there, I wouldn't say too much about that podcast. People should listen to it themselves. But some yeah. of the, the admissions from a former priest that's interviewed in that podcast are bone chilling about things that he confirmed happened and things that happened in front of him. So imagine um, the things that we don't know, you know, like that. I, I like Like I said, I am firmly with the indigenous community on this uh, as far as the actual, um, you know, big picture is concerned. Um, the church and the government uh, were evil, heinous sociopaths and psychopaths, and they fucking abused and killed children. I, um, I'll get off this now, but I, I, I think my motivation is that I want to see the Catholic Church um, and the government, for that matter, held accountable. And I think the best way, one of the best ways to do that is to like supply all the evidence that you can. So if there is evidence of mass graves out there that we can confirm, I would love to see it so that we can be go down that road of accountability. Um it It'll be also, interesting to see what happens. I mean, you know, I wouldn't, I mean, this is all, I mean, it's been recent revelations, right? Like it was just over a year ago that the, the Kamloops, uh, I think it was Tecumseh, right? The 215 yeah. uh, uh, was uh, like, that was kind of the first one, obviously. And that was the one that I think rattled everybody and led to like a very surreal kind of, I don't know what you want to call it because different people have experienced it differently in the sense that for some people it was like an awakening for some people. It was, it was like the, the light went on about what that history of residential schools looked like. And for many other people, survivors in particular, <laughs> they've, they've been you know, waiting to be heard on that. They've been waiting for people to take their experiences seriously for decades. And so I don't know how you describe it. An awakening just doesn't seem right. But for a lot of people, uh, there was this, this, reconciling that had to happen through last summer i think and through into the fall and you saw that i mean remember canada day last year like not a month ago but 13 months ago and how so many people wrestled with the appropriate way to mark july 1st and many people that otherwise would didn't or did it differently and uh you know yeah. who knows what will happen down the line because if it did i mean i'm sure that there are some communities that feel like you know that these remains that you know that these these souls should be properly laid to rest with 
indigenous ceremony and 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 maybe in some communities there will they will exhume these graves and then i guess people like terry glavin and jonathan k and you will get the proof that you want um and in other circumstances i think i think that some communities will, will choose to to leave it as as hallowed or as sacred ground and yeah. um and really i mean ultimately that's their decision yeah, that, I mean, and that's totally fair. And and uh, I'll get off that now. I do think that we should invade the Vatican. I, I think the Vatican as a nation should be invaded. Um, I think we should take over all of their riches and disperse it to the countless families in the world that they have destroyed over the last 2,000 years. But that's just me. Um, are you a religious person? Uh, no, I, I grew up religious, but I wouldn't consider myself to be religious now, no. Are you recovering an evangelical or something? What, what, how does yeah. that work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I just guessed because Alberta yeah. had a have a uh, absolutely wonderful family, amazing parents, amazing, you know, like no complaints. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, grew up in the church, um, went to private school, like private Christian school up until grade nine, went to public high school. And then I went to a, actually went to a faith based university uh, just outside Vancouver. I a graduate uh, communications degree from Trinity Western University uh just outside vancouver and um yeah and then i think in my you know i mean life happens and you observe things around you and you watch people that you care about try to reconcile their reality and their identity with their faith and it doesn't always work and uh you know different people on their own journeys you know many of my friends are still religious that's great um you know uh, sometimes you just have questions that religion can't answer and so for me it just wasn't for me yeah um we don't have this as a similar bio on that but we i think we landed on the, maybe on the same spot it's funny though i um i know this is going to sound crazy because what we just talked about but i've sort of softened my, my views on religion in the last mm. uh little while because of grieving i am i'm i'm envious of religious people during the grieving process really i am because um you know I don't have the ability to think of something that makes me feel better if a friend or family member dies. I, I yeah. just—it's it, not in my arsenal, and, and and I'm not being cynical or condescending when I say that. Uh, it, you know, it, it was funny because it was when Kobe Bryant died, and uh, and you found out that his daughter was in the helicopter, and I just immediately was plunged into what it would like to be the mom, and the the widower, and and I was just I. I you know, I got two kids, uh, you know, and an ex. And, you know, if 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 they somehow perish, you know, hopefully, obviously, the, I don't want that to happen. But if, if something tragic happened in my family like that, I, I, I wouldn't be able to move on. And and I think that that is like the only thing I can think of that is valuable um, as far as religion is concerned, is that ability to put yourself in a sweeter spot than the depths and despair of grieving. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's in, uh, yeah, no, it, yeah, it does. Um, and uh, I mean, I guess, right? It gives it gives people hope, like, and there's faith and and all of that. Um, yeah, you know, it's kind of funny because I when I talk about stuff like this, I'm different on the record than off. Um, you know, and if if you and I were having beers around a campfire, it, it, just the two of us, I might make different comments, but I publicly try not to disparage people's religious beliefs. Ryan just presents from real talk, yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, real yeah, talk. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but uh, you know, and and so many people have find great hope in in the idea of of you know their loved ones have gone to a better place, or they will see their loved ones again, or their loved ones will be there waiting for them at the pearly gates when they perish. 
Um, but, uh, you know, if has, uh, I mean, if heaven doesn't exist, um, and none of us can prove that it does or doesn't, um, you know, but if it doesn't exist and, and, you know, you telling yourself that it does makes you feel better than, than tell yourself. And that makes you feel better. And there's no, you know, I mean, I just, for me, um, you know, it, it just, it just wasn't, uh, you know, I, I just, I don't know. Have I you think, replaced I think it when with you die, you know, I think, I think when you die, um, you know, we see what happens with everything else when it dies on the planet, right? Like we see, we know what happens like when, when a tree dies or a flower or, uh, or, or an, another animal or, you know, I mean, does their soul go somewhere? Does it, does it release energy? How do we interpret the energy? I love, it the, way you, I love the way you say that. You can tell you, you don't know? believe in it at all. No, I mean, I, I believe, I believe in energy and I, and I think that I'm not some sort of like a, a crystal rubbing hippie either. I, I just like, I do believe that there's some, and, and, and as humans, I mean, I think that you and I probably could have be here. I mean, this, this awareness, this beauty of life is, is phenomenal. And I stare up at the stars and I'm, I'm still a, a very spiritual person. I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. We hike every summer, this group of us, and I get out into the back country. And just Wait, what does that mean? What does that mean? Spiritual? I, I like, I have an awareness that there's, there's something more than just like there is something more there's something beautiful there's like the the the, the senses and our and the, the way that the human eyeball works and and uh like the the, the, the human ingenuity and like wi-fi and the fact that the international <laughs> space station the fact that like what i mean it's just it'll blow your mind um but in the context of religion you know, a friend of mine once said to me, and it resonated strongly with me. He said, "Just because you can't explain it doesn't mean it's God." Yeah, and, uh, I agree one hundred percent with that. You know, religion yeah. has, for many people, served to, uh, you know, like give them kind of answers that they needed to, like, put everything tidily away in a box and say that we understand it all, and we don't. And life is chaotic, and it's wonderful. Um, but I think that uh, you know, my sense on it is that when life ends it ends and uh maybe i'll be proven wrong and 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 maybe you know i mean pascal's wager right like you might as well yeah. be a person of faith just in case it's true just in uh, case just in case you get to go to heaven which the great just, prophet christopher hitchens once described as a celestial yeah. north korea right let's yeah, go ahead. the celestial <laughs> north korea but and how do you maybe it's like the celestial saudi arabia actually because if the streets are paved with gold that sounds more yeah. like saudi arabia than yeah. uh but but like how do you you know i mean how, how do you know if you pick the right religion you know i mean i you you grow up and i'm not saying like in my personal household but in as an evangelical christian growing up you're raised to believe not just that you're following the one true God and not just that your faith is the right faith, right? Like if you would meet like a Buddhist or a, a Muslim or, or, you know, a, a, someone of the Jewish faith, you would, you would sort of like almost want to convert them. You, you would, you would, you would, you would respect that they were a person of faith. If now only they could understand it's the wrong faith yes. um, and you can help them. Uh, but that's but even your vase joke, right? But even, yeah, but even more nuanced is like, protestant christian is the right one right and so you've got like the united church the methodist church uh you know the the uh greek orthodox Plymouth church brethren. and all, the and all, yeah. the and all the other lost souls yeah we needed to make sure that they all came to our proper denomination uh but uh yeah man it's, the ricky it's, gervais uh, version of that is uh is uh so you believe in jesus right and the, and and whoever was like yeah okay so you believe in one god um I, and do you believe in any of the other 2000 gods? He's like, no. He's like, okay, well, you only believe in one more than I do. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and yeah, you know. but it's but it's like it's got a heavy grip on people. And it's no small even I mean, through my my mid to late twenties when I started kind of, you know, uh, I guess at that time, um, trying to reconcile some of the stuff and ask tougher questions and then into my thirties. And, um, it would have been a while. I mean, you would have never got me on the record on a show like this 10 years ago saying I'm not a religious person or I'm not a Christian, uh, that, that wouldn't, I wouldn't have said it because I, number one, I wouldn't have totally believed it. And number two, I wouldn't be able to bring myself to say it. Um, no, I, I uh, never, yeah. Or you not, or maybe not even get a job. In, in your field, if you're too I mean, outspoken you know, about it, right? Like, yeah, who knows? I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, that's a whole other ball of wax. Um, I, and I don't want this to be slapstick because uh, I worked, uh, I was on the Dean Blondell show for like a year and a half or something. And every time drugs came up, it always turned into this slapstick thing. Really funny. Oh, James is a druggie and all that. But um, it, a good little pivot away from religion, but towards something, I guess, spiritual or whatever, um, is the James consumption. Leary on us, yeah. No, well, the consumption of psychedelics. I, yeah. I, I am a very, as all of my viewers know, that a very big practitioner of. And there's my landline ringing. That's going to be awesome. Nobody's um, <laughs> looking for shrooms. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'll call you back later, Lenny. Um, you know, the, the, that to me is a um, a spiritual experience. Being able yeah. to, uh, like, I did, uh, I did these mushrooms last month that. And I've done mushrooms probably like three or four hundred times in my life. I don't know how many times, right? Like just what I do. And I did six grams of these mushrooms in Cremor that um I can't explain it. it. It was like the visuals were such where I felt like I was in a painting half the time and in a cartoon half the time. And I'm not one of those people to ever exaggerate on visuals because I fucking hated it when I was young and I did a lot of acid and people would be like, I had a 15 minute conversation with a wizard. It's like, no, you didn't. That's a lie. That, like, there's no way you did because I know what acid is like. And, and that's not acid. Um, and man, I, how many times does your phone ring before your answering machine picks up? Well, that's granny calling. That's my mother-in-law. 12, 12 so. times. <laughs> 14 the, times the constant ringing is the metaphor for her. Impatience. How big is your house that you need to have this many rings to get to your phone before your answering machine picks up? I live in a converted oats factory. Thank you very much. Really? And it's 3000 square feet. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, pretty dude. cool. That's pretty um, cool. The, but uh, the, yeah, no, uh, I, uh, I do think that, yeah, uh, not 400 times. Um, the thing about mushrooms too, is you got to give yourself a bit of a, you got to build up your, uh, you know, you got you to have some distance between them, right? You can't crush mushrooms five times a week. Um, no, I do, I used to do it every two weeks. I do six grams now every month. So I got, it's, it's like a, it's like a, sounds like almost like a ceremony. Is like, is it like the, the, the fourth Friday of the month or the first Saturday or something? It like used that? to be more organized like that. It really did. It was like every second Saturday I would choose shrooms. And then I did it on Dean's show when we interviewed Rain from Our Lady Peace and it was a oh, disaster. Yeah. He had to kick me off the show. So that was actually like, really. Yeah, you know what? It's not good for broadcasting. <laughs> I've noticed like it's it would be good for a roundtable discussion on about shrooms. But if you're talking about politics with Rain, who's very Did Rain know that you were on shrooms? I don't know. I mean, he probably knew at the end, but did he know at the did he know going into it what he was getting himself into? Well, I it was funny. Everything was funny to me. It was too funny because yeah, it was Rain sitting there like 
it looked like he was sitting in like the yoga position. He had a real serious look on his face. So I immediately just started laughing, right? Like just, you know, uh, is this an image thing? What's going on here? Like, you know, so, but, but if we were talking about mushrooms, like I'm going to have a lady on, okay. A friend of mine has a, has a relative who works in a lab, a psilocybin research lab. So I'm going to have her on the show. I might have one or two guests with me, but only if they take shrooms about half an hour before we go live and then talk to the lady while we're on shrooms, the psilocybin expert, and she can tell us why we're feeling what we're feeling, like what's happening yeah. in our brain and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because that's you interesting. Need to you encourage know? the people that download the show to do the same thing. Right? I encourage to everyone to do programs before, you know, a half an hour before they listen to the pod. It's and then, uh, yeah, they can they can figure it out. That's going to be the next. I mean, that's that's kind of the next uh, frontier, I think, which is going to be interesting, like with, with regards to mainstream Canada uh, or or mainstream countries around the world to see how different ones will will adopt an openness to uh, to psychedelics, psilocybin uh, and connections to addressing mental health. Yeah. Um, you know, we I've had some fascinating conversations with with uh, psychotherapists, psychologists, psychiatrists, researchers, uh, you know, people, uh, you know, that have, that have practiced traditional, more traditional forms uh, or, or Eastern forms of, of, of healthcare and meditation. And, and I think that, uh, you know, if I can say colloquially, shrooms are going to be way more mainstream, uh, you know, five years from now. Uh, than they are right now. And it's going to be, if you look to it, it, how cannabis has has gone sort of mainstream in a sense, uh, it's it's not always, I I don't, I mean, I don't know how you, it sounds to me like, you know, you just, I'm picturing you just taking a huge mouthful of of six grams. Oh, no, no, no. No, I powderize them. Okay. okay, And then I eat them with applesauce most of the time. Oh, applesauce. That's interesting. Applesauce or ice cream. One of the two. So there's okay. So so there's that. And then there's gonna be the people that, you know, I mean, for example, like, you know, with cannabis now, you've got gummies and you've got beverages and you've got the vape pens and all that kind of yeah. stuff. I think I'm I don't think that you'll see like it won't be mainstream that people are just gonna crush like, oh, I get like three caps and two stems, and then you know, like kind of like do something like you know, take a bit of peanut butter to get the taste out of their mouth. But if it's if I think that if if it's active ingredients are incorporated into like pills, they'll uh, synthesize, like that, synthesize then, it probably. Yeah. You know, yeah, then then I think that it'll be a more widely recognized and prescribed method. Uh, to address mental health in Canada. And I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, they're Mike, they're doing a lot right now already with microdosing, right? So microdosing. Yeah. yeah and, and, and apparently it's really good for addictions. I don't, I, I never thought of this before. Um, and it's making me think now that maybe that has something to do with it. Cause I thought I was just like being really strong. I was a big drinker for a long time. Like um, I drank my, my two things were, um, red wine and vodka, not together, but that those are the two things that I drank most. And, you know, we're talking like a 40 of vodka a week and like maybe a half dozen bottles of wine. Like I was, uh, you know, yeah. I weighed over 200 pounds. I'm five foot six. Wasn't very pretty. You know what I mean? And then in uh, 2019, I quit drinking. Um, and I'm wondering now, cause I, I did. Did you, teeto- do- did you hold Turkey teetotal quit? I did. And then like six months later, and I still do this to this day, I drink like Corona's here and there. Like, and I don't mean get drunk. I mean, like a six pack will last me like three weeks or a month or something like wow. that. Like that that's yeah. all I do now. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, you, and I'm, I'm wondering if the shrooms, if I, in hindsight, if they played a role in my success at not drinking, 
Um, but I, I don't think it did, but it's possible. But um, it has helped some people quit drinking. It's helped some people quit cocaine and things like that. This is what they're talking about in the lab, not just anecdotal things that I've heard. Yeah, and yeah. Um, But the biggest one is depression. Um, it, it is uh, extraordinarily successful in, in getting people to um, climb out of their depression because it strips your ego. And when you're tripping, and I mean tripping, I, like I take six grams, not because I think I'm a tough guy or because my tolerance level is up. It's going to impact me the same way it would impact another person. It's just that mentally I go into it excited and looking forward to it. Whereas the people that have bad trips go into it afraid of what's about to happen. And so they actually yeah. give themselves the bad trip, right? Like, yeah. Should we, at, should we at this point mention that, uh, that six grams is quite a bit? Uh, and for the first time, although you never know, man, you get people that like for the first five times they, they eat shrooms, they won't feel a thing and it has no impact until it does. Yeah. And, if uh, you're taking yeah. SSRIs, actually, it, it dampens the impact. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It, it messes with brain chemistry, but you know who we should look to, and this could be an interesting way to, to wrap the show actually, because of what we were talking about before. Um, I get all my shrooms from the reserve, all of them. Like oh, yeah. whenever I get streams, it's always from the reserve. I have a reserve uh, <clears throat> first nations community. I guess we, uh, we call them now um, in golden Lake, right near where I live. There's like 24 weed dispensaries and it's like 16 of them or something sell shrooms. And I think that if we all got our spiritual awakenings from first nations communities, I can't think of a better idea of how to foster a beginning or a starting point of unity. I know that might sound hippy dippy, but you know what I mean? Like, I think it does. Um, I've had some, yeah, I mean, I think of, uh, you know, we've, we've had some fascinating, I mean, on our show, on Real Talk, uh, people, you know, you can check it out, ryanjesperson.com, by the way, you know, I was going to plug it, James. Yes. Um, you haven't, you know, have you retweeted me yet? No, I, I did. I think yeah, I did retweet I'm you, pal. Joking, I did uh, from my Twitter account at Ryan yeah. Jesperson. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, we've had some fascinating conversations on, on all the, I'm trying to think of like, like certain, for example, wildfire management. That's one example where mm. um, there's the, there are these indigenous traditions that go back millennia. Uh, and, and, and at the very least hundreds of years when it comes to managing wildfire and, uh, and there's this openness and it's relatively recent. It's pretty interesting. Um, Parks Canada is, is, is participating in some direct working relationships. Jasper national park, uh, about four hours West of Edmonton is a good example of, uh, of incorporating indigenous firekeeping, they call it uh, wildfire management, indigenous scientific method, uh, traditional method, to uh to sort so-called modern day techniques and and integrating that that's one example of mm. so many where i think that people are you know you you ask this question like you the collective you society is asking this question of like what is meaningful reconciliation and yeah there's the list of of uh, the recommendations from the truth and reconciliation commission but but in in people's personal lives like what does it mean to you what are, what are you going to do about it uh, yeah. what, 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 you know, how have you connected in, in your community or, uh, you know, to those around you of indigenous heritage or otherwise to better understand our nation's, uh, and this land's history and what its future looks like. And, uh, and I think that's, yeah, that's kind of a, a neat example that you brought up. And I think that there's thousands of them. Would you like to come on my shrooms podcast with the psilocybin expert? Uh, yeah, I'd probably come on the, on the shrooms pod. Yeah. We'd have that's to, awesome. yeah, we yeah, we'd we'll, uh, we'll set it yeah. up months in advance. We'll figure yeah, it out. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say this: like anytime you're, uh, you know, whether it's shrooms or, or weed or you're, you know, bombed on booze or whatever with your buddies, you always think 
you always think that it would make for a brilliant podcast. And uh, I'm not <laughs> I, sure that I don't I'm, mind crashing and burning, Ryan. Crashing and burning is still viewers, right? I'm not sure that that's actually the case, but I digress. I would consider it, James. Okay. Okay. Good walk back. Real talk. All right. You have Um, your people call my people. I will. I will. Ryan, it was great getting to know you, man. Um, You're a great conversationalist. I will continue to listen to your podcast. Your podcast is dope. It's called Real Talk. Is it Real Talk with Ryan Jesperson or just Real Talk? Real Talk, Ryan Jesperson. And people can check it out at ryanjesperson.com. Three E's, no O's in Jesperson. Yes. Um, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate your time. I know you're busy and uh, hopefully we can have you back sometime soon. Yeah, man. I didn't know uh, you and I had uh, very limited uh, contact ahead of time by design. We wanted to run and gun. We didn't know what we were going to talk about. I appreciate uh, people. I had no idea to, we were going to go to religion. The, uh, but yeah, go ahead. yeah. Well, I didn't <laughs> yeah. know. Yeah, I didn't. I, I mean, we covered a lot of stuff today and um, uh, I think it's important to be able to have conversations and uh, to be able to ask questions in, in, in responsible fashion into plant seeds in people's minds that that after listening to a show like this they're going to walk and think and uh and hopefully get in touch with us and let us know what they thought and that's really kind of what we do and what it's all about i agree man well you're dope you're fantastic and your show is fantastic and i can't wait to talk to you again thank you man thanks james have a good one ryan jesperson that was fun um i wasn't sure what to expect but that was that was a lot of fun i have a friend um who uh, she watches him uh, or listens to his podcast a lot, and um, and when I told her that she was, that that Ryan was coming on the show, she was like, "Yeah, he's dope." Um, so that was a that was a great conversation. We didn't agree on everything, and um, look, we walk away um, maybe uh, doing illicit narcotics in the future. <laughs> My podcast. Um, what is coming up later this week? I have Richard Marsh Senior coming up on Thursday at one p.m. Uh, tomorrow night, it looks like I have, um, a man from Australia who used to be the leader of the Plymouth Brethren Christian church in Australia, who was excommunicated back in the eighties. I just remember her, um, his last name was, I think his name is Ron Falk. I I think I'm getting that right. I might be getting that incorrectly, but either way. And, um, and then uh, my name is not Monty Hall, and that is not a curtain from a 1970s game show. That is my sis- my daughter's uh, birthday decorations, because her birthday is coming up this weekend. So that's why you see those things in the background. I wasn't trying to make my podcast look shiny. Um, but listen, uh, big thanks to everybody in the comments. You guys are always there, and I love you. And we'll see you next time on Black Ball. Now I have to go find that video. And there it is right there. Bye, guys. Black everywhere the imagination dares it's for the open-minded the pleasure seeker 
It's Jeff Woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality. Theme-based with special guests. The Blue Hotel Hotline at every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story. Get a room and listen in at the Blue Hotel. Begins Friday, September 23rd. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate.